Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back, Chase Thomas podcast. Late on a Wednesday, where I I hope John Taylor, a fangraphs who is here right now, John. I hope um, that this is not immediately just. Uh, inconsequential because more craziness happens before the deadline at uh, midnight tonight. Um, it's uh, it's pretty wild to see what's happening. Freddie Freeman could probably sign uh, right after this pod. Who knows? But as of right now, John, just absolute madness. And I think you were tweeting about this where it's just like Major League Baseball is having their own NBA summer free agency special here in the winter, man. Yeah, and it's funny, as you say that, uh, Marcus Stroman just tweeted Chicago Cubs. So Uh-oh. I believe Marcus Stroman is a Chicago Cub now. That's weird. The Cubs. Yeah, I... Did he mean the sure. White Sox? Did he forget? Did he? Did his agent tell him the wrong team, the wrong Chicago team? Because White Sox makes sense. I mean, I don't understand the appeal for him with the Cubs, necessarily. Um, mostly because they're not going to be good next year. They need to do a whole lot more and i guess we'll, we'll eventually get around to them at some point during our during our team stuff but that that is a very interesting move and that's i mean this has just been a really weird i know i could call it deadline our, our unofficial lockout deadline trade deadline free mm-hmm. agent deadline whatever um the, the particular you know the cubs texas uh you know who, who else are we who else have we had that's made moves that you know, it doesn't quite fit that vibe of immediate current contender, especially when you consider like the opposite of that is the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and, and all the other big teams kind of just sitting quietly for the time being. It, it, it's very interesting the way that this free agency period has played out, not just with all the activity ahead of the, the owner imposed lockout that will be starting, like you said, at, at, at midnight, but also the fact that it's an unconventional group of teams i think we could say that has made the majority of the news and has made the majority of the biggest signings yeah well let's let's talk about the the biggest one the team that's given out over what 500 million dollars this winter thus far Um, close to 600 i think at this point goodness gracious uh we love to see it the als getting weird uh robbie ray going to the mariners like the astros we'll see what they end up doing um but already brought back verlander they did bring back verlander could they bring back korea too uh i don't know we'll we'll see i will be very and i'm sure we'll talk about this Mm -hmm. i'll be very interested to see what his market is now that for all intents and purposes he is the last man standing at shortstop Mm -hmm. with javi baez and Corey seager and marcus Semyon all down well trevor story Um, too trevor story is there too but he he feels like a very clear one b to korea's one a at this point yeah so but at the same time, like, and and I think we'll we'll probably hit on this too. That like for all the for all the big moves that have happened, we still have uh, Correa still on the market. Freddie Freeman is still on the market. Story is still on the market. Nick Castellanos is still on the market. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is still on the market, which I find amazing that the Dodgers haven't just said enough already. Let's let's get you back in the fold, especially having lost Max Scherzer. So there's still a fair number of, of important guys out there. But it yeah, we have we are pretty much knocked out like two-thirds of all the major free agents in a roughly, what, week-long period. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, a la the NBA or a la the, well, I guess the NFL doesn't even really have much of a free agent frenzy unless you're the Patriots last winter, but or last summer, rather. But yeah, it has been, it has been something. It is absolutely something. Um, well, let's uh, let, let's start with the, the Mets. Uh, the Mets... Let's always, as we should always start with the Mets. 
I just, it seemed like they might not get uh, past the finish line with Scherzer for a little bit, which would have just been uh, tremendous content uh, for baseball Twitter in general. If it did, if it did fall apart, I don't think Cohen. Uh, like I, I just, I would, I would love. It, it couldn't have. It could not have. Like there, oh my like, I don't think there is any number Scott Boris or Max Scherzer could have said that Steve Cohen would not have agreed to ultimately. Because I think that's just the reality of, and and I'll, I'll start by saying this. I know we have talked a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot over the last few weeks about how incompetent and stupid the Mets not necessarily are, but have acted, particularly Cohen with his first with the both endless and very disappointing uh, GM search. And then with the very silly and overwrought Steven Matz brouhaha. But hey, I will give him credit. He literally put his money where his mouth was. He handed out. Uh, how how much in guaranteed money did the Mets did the Mets agree to with the four deals that they made somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred fifty million dollars? Obviously, Scherzer getting the highest AAV of any player ever at the age of thirty seven, which is absolutely astonishing. I mean, you can and and I think this is kind of a common theme for the teams that made the biggest moves is that none of them feel like they're particularly done yet for all the for all the money that the Mets and the Rangers and you know, to a lesser extent, you know, Toronto and Seattle and, and and other teams kind of threw around, a lot of those rosters don't feel finished. And I think that's the case with the Mets, even though, you know, with Scherzer, now they have a problem, definitely the best one-two starting rotation punch in Scherzer and DeGrom, if Jacob DeGrom is healthy anyway. And Starling Marte, they added the center fielder they have needed for a very long time. And Mark Canha, they have a pretty good Michael Conforto replacement and Eduardo Escobar. I wouldn't call him a Javier Baez replacement just because they do very different things very differently, but they certainly now have a utility infielder type who can also push for the starting second base job if Jeff McNeil is not up to the task and or if Robbie Cano no longer looks like Robbie Cano. Also gives them an option at third base if J.D. Davis continues to be a disaster there. So they've added help, and certainly I think Scherzer makes them much better. I don't think there's any real way. And that's kind of the other thing. There's no way really to... You can you can nitpick as to whether or not the Mets, you know, with the money they've already spent, could just keep going. You know, you could make the argument that why why take Eduardo Escobar when it's just you know you might as well just bring back Baez or something. If you're going to spend, you might as well spend. But I don't think there's really any nit. I don't think there's really any arguing that the Mets are better right now as currently constituted, even having lost. Uh, I mean, I don't know if, how much I don't know how much of a loss Noah Syndergaard is. We will have to wait and see. But even having even with Stroman walking, even with Conforto walking, even with Aaron Luke walking, you know, I still think that at the end of the day, they moves they, the moves they made have made them a better team. I think the question is, have they, is it made them a good enough of a team to, at this point, push past the Braves for favorite status in the NL East? And I think a lot of that will obviously depend on what happens with Freeman. Mm-hmm. If he walks, obviously, that is very bad for Atlanta. If he stays, I think Atlanta's pretty comfortably still the best team in the division, even with Scherzer in New York. But if nothing else, like I said, Steve Cohen, after looking like an absolute entitled ass for a very long time now, went ahead and did the thing that he was that, you know, Mets fans have been waiting for this entire time, which is spend and spend on the right kind of guys. This isn't just, you know, obviously, it's one thing if the Mets free agency had been, you know, like Eduardo Escobar and Mark Canha and like nothing really else. You know, that that's the Will Ponds 2.0. But. This is this is the difference that Steve Cohen's money is supposed to make. That you know, Max Scherzer negotiating with the Mets wasn't just a ploy to try to get more money out of the Dodgers or to see if anyone else would step up. This was legitimately one team being like, "We will all we will pay him what he wants because we have the money to make that happen." So, 
weird as this feels to say, good job, Steve Cohen. Kudos to you for at least letting your rage play out productively in terms of just making you spend like a drunken sailor and well it's also just that like this is always going to be the appeal of the cohen mets is that like as much as they can mess up a gm search as much as they can blow uh, a division lead in july um to a division where it just seemed like nobody wanted to win this division for for months and they could have just done it and he just obviously tweets through it on twitter.com there's the weird stuff with the i mean just the previous administration the due diligence the relationship with alderson how much role he has like there's all these different uh caution signs all over the place when you you get off in queens and you go you go by uh the stadium but like he still has the most money of anyone in major league baseball and he can still just do this so it's like that's what i was saying when he got bought the team was that like he can be. And that was, like I said, that mm-hmm. was the advantage is that he can be the guy who can just splurge where no one else can. And granted, other owners have money too, but Steve Cohen has like legitimate fuck you money. Like, right. And he's also got he new can... owner stuff where he's like, he's, he's not, he's not been burned significantly to this point where it's like uh, the, the Angelos is of the world. The, I mean, just going back uh, sure. to owners who have just been burned and tried to spend, it doesn't go well. So then like, uh, I'll show you, we're not doing that ever again. Cohen hasn't gotten there yet, so maybe he changes a decade from now. Um, getting burned by some of these, maybe it's Lindor. I I don't know, but like he's still in that. I have all the money in the world, and I want to win. I have all this energy, this, that, and the other, and it's just a, a confluence of events that are very frustrating. And it's not going to be. A, you're never going to have a normal season in New York. Sorry, Bob, but they're just going to be. They're they're always right there, and it's just there for the taking. And there's nothing you can really do to keep them out of it if they want to get into it if that makes sense yeah and i I agree with all that and i think it's also important to note that cohen in particular is the kind of owner that scott boris who is max scherzer's agent thrives on the the big rich dumb guy who wants to win right now that is boris has historically been a guy who has usually appealed to ownership instead of front offices in particular in recent years as front offices have become less and less receptive to his a particular brand of give me all the money mm-hmm. owners on the other hand not nearly as uh not nearly as discerning in that right in terms of who gets the money and how much of it and boris just does seem to have a special charm with those owners by just i think he plays on their instincts of do you want to like i think it's an easy thing with cohen is do you do you want to look like a loser basically you know you can sign max scherzer and look like a winner or you can not sign max scherzer and look like a loser at a time where you already look like a loser you know, I think that's really one of Boris's greatest strengths as an agent is that he just really just seemed to play the psychological game very well. And he just, even when there's only one team in the process, and it really does feel like the Mets were, for the most part, bidding against themselves. I, I do not get the impression that anyone else out there was going to give Max Scherzer $40 million a year with the exception of, no, that's not, there's really no one who's even coming to mind. I mean, and the Dodgers still, do come to mind, but... The Dodgers come to mind, but I, I have to imagine, given that they didn't seem to be involved in the chase at all, there never really was any mention that they were engaged or that they, you know, that there was even a figure out there. I, I think the most we saw was, I think they were willing to do two years, but nothing beyond that. As uh, the I chase, very, I can confirm they were not in on the chase. <laughs> uh, you are, as, as chase, you are master of all chases. That's but, true, that's true. It does feel like it does feel like for the most part that was a one team bidding war, and yet Boris still managed to get forty three million dollars a year for his thirty seven year old client. He he really is something special. But I do think it was also taking advantage of that particular circumstance where the Mets really really needed a a free agent win, 
after the GM search, after the way the, the whole Stephen Matz thing played out. And for as good as a trio of signings as Martin Escobar and Canha is, I don't really think that would have been enough for most people going out of the offseason to be like, well, we got a few position players, but our rotation is still pretty crap. Here's a, here is a Tyler Anderson, for example. No, I, I think they had to make, I think the Mets, because of who they are and because of how they are, had to make this kind of move to assuage the fans that, no, things are actually fine. Like, we're, we are spending, we are trying, like, ignore the, the embarrassment of the last four or five months. And <laughs> He's also like Liam Neeson they, with the, the, the stadium on fire behind him. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. But also just because there wasn't, I don't really think they had another option if they wanted to make that kind of splash. Like, Correa was obviously not a realistic uh, possibility. I don't think they were going to convince Kershaw to leave, either to leave Los Angeles or to forego Texas if, in fact, he is considering the Rangers and the Rangers are considering him. Man, that's the perfect I, spot for him, right? Like based on what we know about uh, older pitcher rehab with them, like you just put Kershaw in Texas at this point. Mm. This this really does blow up my idea. Like I think we were all expecting Texas to have that offseason where they just sign like five or six mediocre veterans, turn one of their pitchers into a Bring random Jason Marquis out of retirement. Yeah, and they still finish with like 75 wins. <laughs> Here they are spending $600 million on Marcus Semien and Corey Seager because they want to, if not win right now, at least stop losing right now. Yeah. And I guess I guess that's the thing that stands out to me a lot from this period is it's less about teams, I think. It's less about the Rangers, I think, looking around and going, hey, this is our contention window now. Because I don't really think there's any... I, I don't think there's any way you can look at the Rangers as currently constituted and say, yes, this is a contender. Or mm. better said, this is a World Series contender. I, I think they're I, an AL West contender. I don't I think, think they're an, yeah. I think they're a division contender, and I think there is a realistic path if they're banking on Houston taking a step back without Correa and you know whatever else happens. Oakland is obviously selling and will not be a factor next year, probably for a good long bit. The Angels are the Angels. They are incompetent at all times. And I think it's a fair bet that, you know, if if really at that point that leaves you with Seattle as the only other team you're kind of worried about in terms of the chase, as I again defer to you as the chase guy, mm. I can totally see a way in which maybe you can convince yourself that all it's going to take is a mid 80s to high, mid to high 80s win total and a little bit of luck to get you pretty much most of the way there. I mean, all the Texas, all the Rangers have to do is look at what basically Seattle did. Granted, some of that was Seattle taking advantage of a run differential that you know didn't really line up with the reality of their team. But at the same time, they were in they were in the postseason race the entire way through, and with a roster that truthfully wasn't all that great. Um, and I think, if nothing else, Texas has decided that it is possible to win even if they don't win exactly the way they want to. And if nothing else, the floor for this roster has now been raised. Because it's never just about one offseason, right? It's never just about – I don't think there's – more to the point I want to say, I don't think John Daniels or anyone in the Texas organization seriously thinks that after signing uh, John Gray and Marcus Semien and, and Corey Seager and Cole Calhoun that they are now World Series favorites. Nor do I think that they think the job is done. But I also don't think that they think the job is done this offseason or in the future. I think Seager and Semien in particular are as much about – what they can do for the 2022 Rangers as the 2023 Rangers, the 2024 Rangers, and all the various things that can happen between then and now in terms of free agency, in terms of trades, in terms of who knows what. It's a really nice thing to see. It it is a genuinely nice thing to see, though, to see some of these teams decide that we don't have to wait for that perfect little contention window slice when all the prospects are here and the rebuild is finally over and now we're ready. 
No, if, if there's a guy on the market you want right now who, you can, who can help you today and tomorrow, go get him now. That was the argument I think most of us, if not all of us, were making when, when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper hit the market. Yeah. And granted, they were special players in that they were both under 30 and like on Hall of Fame track careers. That That's a little different. I think Seager is probably closer than Semyon in that regard, but regardless. The point being that they were going to be around forever, or at least in baseball terms for all intents and purposes, mm. forever. Like, you don't just get them for a year and then they move on and it's like, oh, well, nothing happened. What was the point? The floor is now higher, theoretically, in multiple years going forward. Same with same with Seattle with Robbie Ray. Same with Toronto. Toronto's in a bit of a different place with Kevin Gaussman. Same with the Mets with, with Scherzer and Mark. Like, those are win-now moves, yes, but they're also win-next-year moves and win-the-year-after-that moves. It, cre- it creates a window as opposed to you waiting for the window to show up. Now, does Texas need to do more? Absolutely. Their rotation is not good. Half their lineup is pretty bad. Their bullpen is not good, although that's something that's probably a little easier to... That's the easier... We would be in, more in on this if their pipeline had done anything in the last five years. That too. There's, there are some good pieces in Texas's system, and obviously Josh Young, the third baseman of the future that they have coming up, is, is a big part of that. But yes, their farm system has not produced a whole lot in recent years, and a lot of that talent still seems to be kind of bubbling up from the low minors. There aren't really impact guys available right now Unless mm-hmm. Leody Tavares has somehow figured something out. But notwithstanding all of that, yes, we would be having a totally different conversation if Texas were better. But I still think at the same time, they are creating, like I said, they are creating that window for if things change within the next, like they're, they're creating basically a three-year window, I think. Because I, I think three to four years in that, at that point, then you, then it kind of depends what the health and production of guys like Semyon and Seeger is. But obviously that's a long way away. They're, the thinking now is we've created this window where we have these guys in place. We've shored up these two positions where we really had nothing going on in our system. And truthfully, second base and shortstop were just enormous, horrible dead zones for Texas. So I think it's, it's also a, a lot about that, too, is that, well, we don't have anything coming here, so we might as well get something now because what, what, what are we waiting for, essentially? And like I said, now you have the opportunity where, okay, let's say Texas – let's say this doesn't do everything it needs to do for Texas. They finish – uh, 78 and 84 or whatever it happens to be, right? Not a, not a winning season, not in contention, whatever. But there at least now is the floor that can still go higher next offseason when whichever free agents hit the market then they can sign. They can make trades, obviously, between now and then. Maybe they got a guy in their system who suddenly pops, you know, who pulls a Juan Soto out of nowhere. And, and like Juan Soto was not a huge name prospect before he became a superstar for the Nationals. These He's guys are pretty young, though, man. He was pretty young, but like, that's the kind of thing is like, now you're creating space for if, and when these things happen, now you can actually take advantage of them. And I think that's, that is something that's really important. I think in major league baseball currently. Well, we hear on the Chase and podcast, especially John and I, we, we emphasize if you can, if you can create another Juan Soto, if you're any MLB franchise, we we encourage it. Yeah. Number, my number one uh, suggestion to teams that want to win is create Juan Soto very easy to do just i don't create a ronald acuna like yeah um, just 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 make a ronald acuna it's very simple right or 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 john don't 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 because i don't know if you ran the numbers here i I was checking more the other day and i was like you know who didn't pop up on the in the playoffs for this world series Hmm. run for the atlanta braves do you know who wasn't a part of it uh ronald acuna it was ronald acuna 
that's weird. I wonder where he was. I mean, he was injured, but I mean, people are talking. Like, what uh, what does talking. this run look like if Ron Acuna's in the lineup? Um, it's a very it's very Jerry Seinfeld vibe right there. Like, people are talking. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but anyway, Jared, the Rangers may Kramer just person. They're talking. <laughs> I hope everyone has enjoyed this. Who is like under the age of thirty and has no clue what we're on about? Does no one under thirty watch Seinfeld? I don't know. I don't know what the kids. I mean, it's on Netflix now, so maybe yeah. they moved from binging Friends to binging that and their weird obsession with our with like our nineties detritus. But see, I never watched Friends. I've never watched an episode of Friends, but I've seen. A lot I, of I also I also skipped out on the Friends when it happened. I I do not understand at all the particular affinity that the younger generations had for that show aside from the fact that maybe they found it an amusing time capsule they were like wow you could rent a whole apartment that big whatever you made in the 90s (laughs) to be fair john that's i mean you've been doing that in new york for years now that is true although i do not have my own central perk which no central perk i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily though well haven't we talked you're not a coffee guy I seem to recall. I'm not a co- I'm not a coffee guy, so I'm also uh, it's it's a it's a lost art for me. But anyway, yes, mm-hmm. I I think it's imp- it is, I think it is important within Major League Baseball that we have teams that are trying on a on a time scale that we are that is different than what we've seen before. Yeah. But like I said, are not waiting for that you know that three to five to however long your rebuild to be over. Part of that I imagine is that, and I, I've been saying this for a bit, and I think teams are are kind of coming to the same conclusion. You can't really rebuild that same way anymore. The way that the Astros and Cubs did it uh, six six or seven years ago at this point, longer, I think, in most in, in both cases, you know, and the accumulation of prospects, trading veterans for, for prospects, high draft picks, player development. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, those are all important things you can do, but every team operating within the same kind of mindset or at least with the same values for players makes it a lot harder to do that, especially when there are teams that are just, especially when teams are, are not as willing to let go of the prospects they have. So with that in mind, like, I think you kind of have to find a different path if you're a rebuilding team. But I also think it is instructive to look at what's happened with, say, Baltimore, where that rebuild just has not gone, has not really accomplished much of anything. I know Adley Rutschman is there, and we, and we talked a bit about the prospects they have, but in terms of major league contributors, they, contributors, they have four or five guys who feel like they're actual useful pieces, and who knows how much longer to create more. And so it creates a question of when exactly does this rebuild end? You know, when when do we start seeing contention out of this? And I think that's a hard I think that's just that's a regardless of whether or not it's the right thing to do for your fans to try, which I I think we both are in agreement that yes, you should try. Like just try, spend. It is not, you know, that it, it is the least you owe your fans. I think there is also an understanding that there does not have to be one way to rebuild anymore. And I think a lot of, and I think Texas is probably the good example. And I don't think they were ever really headed for like necessarily a, a really deep rebuild, but this did not seem like a team that was going to make a move right away. And instead they're like, no, we're, we're, we are going to create the path for our own functional rebuild in a different way. So we are simply I, I going like to it. spend money. Yes. And I think that's, and I think too, that that makes sense because ultimately, you know, if prospects are essentially too expensive, both in terms of acquisition or in terms of the value they have before you move them, well, then the other option is money, and money is money is fake. It is made up. It is there is always more money. There will never not be more money. This is a fifteen billion dollar a year revenue sport. Every ownership group is worth hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. 
I, I and that, that's going to be interesting to see exactly what the kind of what's the best way to put this the the optics of doing this ahead of the owner imposed lockout that is ha- that is beginning shortly because for so long I feel like and I think that was the idea coming into this coming into this offseason too when we all kind of knew that this was going to happen this lockout was that the owners were going to cry a line of poverty that you know players cost too much t like building a team costs too much we need more cost certainty we need more cheap years blah 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 but then you have a bunch of teams turning around and spending like crazy anyway so what exactly is the argument there then from the owners like what what is what has been stopping them from doing this this entire time like what was stopping them from doing this last winter or the winter before or the winter before like it doesn't really seem to add up in that regard and I don't, I don't necessarily think that Texas has started something that the entire league is going to copy necessarily, unless they execute it to perfection, and then you know, this is a copycat league in that regard. But I do think it is an interesting, if nothing else, the way this free agency period has played out compared to the arguments we've heard from owners and the league over the last few years about the need to control costs and to cut costs. It doesn't really seem to add up, and it just makes me think that there might be some more kind of a more sizable landscape change happening that we are probably going to have to wait to see till after a new CBA is, is agreed to and ratified as to what exactly the landscape of major league baseball looks like, because I'm, I genuinely do think that the last week or so is worth of action. I'm obviously it's, it's dictated in part by the, by the self-imposed lockout deadline and guys want to guarantee, get their guaranteed money and get their contracts set like squared away before they you know have to go into essentially hibernation. But I, I do think that this kind of, if not so much the amount of spending, who is doing the spending, I think is going to result in a changed landscape around the league in terms of how this stuff goes ha- happens going forward and what team building looks like going forward. Because that's the other part of this is none of these contracts are bargains. This is not teams taking advantage of a depressed market as it was a few years ago when you Darvish and J.D. Martinez signed and getting guys for what looked like below or, or at least below kind of predicted prices the, the people these teams are paying especially texas is paying a premium for the free agents they're signing so i don't know I, i'll be curious to see what the long-term effects impact ramification all that fun stuff is of this last week of spending even with a new cba coming because man it, it really does feel like something changed doesn't it yeah, it, I, it's just so hard to figure out why that is. And I'm sure every team is thinking differently about what's going on and their calculus is different. The only consistent is the Tampa Bay Rays who signed Corey Kluber, who will become an AL Cy Young candidate. Um, yeah, immediately. Down, like that's just, that, I, I like that's that what they between, do. Between the Rays signing Corey Kluber and the Giants signing Alex Cobb, I already <laughs> know exactly who I'm picking for my Cy Young winners next next spring. Good I just know what I'm just, just easy choice on both parts. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, do you like Gausman to, to Toronto? Yeah, I like that okay. a lot. They needed a they, they needed a consistent frontline pitcher. I know they have the Barrios extended now. I know they still have Hyunjin Ryu, but Gaussman, I, I think anytime you can get a guy who one has uh, an elite pitch like his splitter is, it is a true eighty, you know, whatever grading system you use, it is it is a top flight splitter. Very good results last year. None of it looks particularly fluky. I mean, you can argue that some of that is like he got a lot of weak contact on his fastball, and you can argue how sustainable that kind of thing is. But ultimately, you know, he's got elite stuff, and he's shown what he's capable of when he is healthy. And I think it makes sense for Toronto because they they, they really did need that, especially with Ray walking. 
I mean, you can quibble or question at least mm. whether or not you would prefer Gaussman or Ray. Honestly, I don't think it makes terribly huge a difference. They are both great pitchers. But yeah, I think it's a move Toronto had to make. They needed another starter. They particularly needed, I feel like, a frontline starter. Could be worse. Could be the Twins who just signed Dylan Bundy. Sure. And I think the Blue Jays of like five years ago probably would have signed Dylan Bundy. But I think this is Toronto recognizing that their time is particularly now and that a frontline starter like Gaussman is really important in that regard. And also, it does kind of take off the last major item on on their shopping list. I know we talked a bit. What as, are about, are you just are are they not going to replace Marcus Simeon in your estimation? They're going to go internal, or do you think that they're going to have? I, to I think I think they go internal with Kevin okay. Biggio at second and uh, Santiago Espinal at third. I don't love it. I think the more realistic slash better choice there would be say figure out what the A's want for Matt Chapman, like we ooh, talked about last week. Yeah, but I think that business obviously now has to wait. And yeah. for the most part, I think Toronto got what it needed to get out of free agency because truthfully, unless they do sign Chris Bryant, who I think makes a ton of sense for them, but he mm. also makes a ton of sense for half a dozen teams, more than half a dozen, like uh, a, a dozen teams, if not more. I don't really know that there's that much left in free agency that kind of makes sense for them to to spend on. There's not really beyond Bryant, another third baseman, I think that, that makes particular sense. And Semyon really was it at the second base market. You know, I, I don't even think they have a choice at second base anymore. Um, I think they kind of just have to go with what they have. But who do you think, think of the Rangers' they, big three will be the the best? Who do you think will end up being the Seager. best signing? Okay, Seager. I, I think that's that doesn't feel like a much of a yeah. He's the youngest. He's the best hitter by far. Hmm. Um, do you think all three hit? Of uh, Seeger, Semyon, and who was the third hitter? Oh, Cole Calhoun. Well, no, no, no. I meant like I mean, hit as in they pop, like they're a good contract. Oh, they end up oh, being yeah. good value. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think. I mean, he's just by virtue of being the youngest player and the one with the highest ceiling. I think he is the one who will have the best overall. Semyon, Semyon for me is very much a you're here for the first three years. The back four will figure it out when we get there. John Gray, I think, is more mid rotation than top of rotation. I mean, we'll have to see what Texas does with him. Obviously, getting out of Colorado is huge, and I think he's probably a guy who would benefit from some advanced pitching work in terms of sequencing, arsenal changes, all that kind of fun stuff, which obviously we're not privy to. Mm. But yeah, Seeger, Seeger to me has the highest upside, the highest ceiling, and I think is the guy who is pretty guaranteed to be very, very good at least for the great majority of that contract. You know, it's a, it's a it's granted it's a ten year deal. There's a lot of years uh, to go, yeah. obviously. And if there's I, any, I, if there's, I mean, like when we go back through track records of long-term Texas deals in the last 20 years, yeah. they've gone, they've typically gone pretty great. Oh, so is this where we talk about Shin Suchu or, I mean, I, I think the difference here is those guys, I mean, A-Rod worked for all intents and purposes. Okay. He, he was great. He was a great player. The team was just the, bad. The, yeah, and that's and that's something that John Daniels made a point of addressing when when he was asked about it. It's like we understand the mistake with Alex Rodriguez was not signing Alex Rodriguez. It was not making the team better around him. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy had MVP. He won the MVP. The rest of the seasons there were also MVP caliber. But that team was so bad that it didn't end up mattering. Mm-hmm. So I think Seager is kind of in that. I mean, Seager is obviously not a Rod, and he doesn't have quite that ceiling. But I think it's that same. He doesn't if the Rangers come out of this, yeah. If the Rangers have come out of this only signing Corey Seager, then I think we could turn around and say yes, they're making the exact same mistake they made twenty years ago when they signed a Rod. You know, yeah. they signed an MVP caliber player, but they're not making the rest of the roster better. This is different now, but yeah. I, but do we I, trust? I, I get, is, do we trust the new front office? Do we trust uh, our big tall 
general manager and John Daniels being the overseer. Like, I don't like we have been so down on the Rangers for so long now that just because that they spent all this money and signed these big names that we all think are going to probably work out. I don't know. Do they deserve the benefit of the doubt? That was something I was thinking about. It's just that like they're no, a that's team. A, that's that, a good question. It, right? It's a good question because like you said, this is a team that has not done well over the last few years and that all the moves they made with the exception of like randomly signing Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn mm-hmm. and turning them into Cy Young candidates. You know, that has worked out, but everything else hasn't. And I, I've made the joke already that this is as much about Texas getting better as it is about John Daniels trying not to get fired mm. or at least leaving or that or he feels like this is not my problem in a few years because I'm only nominally in charge at this point and I can move on whenever I feel like it. Right. But at the same time, I think for I mean, we can quibble all we can we can argue pretty much indefinitely whether or not the Rangers are you know are in, under are in the right hands. But again, I don't think there's any argument that they made themselves better. All of all of the Mets, like the talent level in Texas, is higher today than it was a week ago. And regardless of whether or not that's the right amount of money or years to commit to the guys that they chose, or what the state of the farm system looks like, or what they do from here on out, John Daniels made the Rangers better, just indisputably better. And all it took was money. And I think that I think that's kind of the thing. It's like when you when you make these moves in free agency, I think it is a lot easier for things to go right because it really is just a matter of does the player perform or not. And so if you pick players like Semyon and Seeger who have much higher floors than your usual than Texas's usual free agent targets. And I think that's something worth noting too, is that like, yeah, Texas didn't do well, but they've also been bargain shopping for how many years now? It, it's kind of similar to what the Angels have done with their pitchers, where it's like in is the problem that the Angels are bad at working with pitchers or is the problem that the Angels are choosing pitchers who have significant injury and performance issues and that that's why they're and that's why they're available at the price range the Angels want to work in. That's kind of the thing. Like when you when you operate at the top end of the market, you're getting almost by default a very very good player unless something really crazy happens, which, you know, if if something happens to Semyon and Seager and they just randomly turn into like one war players from here on out, I'm not going to blame that on John Daniels. That's not his fault. And I think that's kind of the thing. It's like you can you can like I said, you can argue the money, you can argue the years, but I don't think you can argue that they are a better team and that he went out and got the most talented players he could at two extremely important positions of need. And whatever happens from here on out, you know, that that's that's not really to a certain degree in his hands, unless the Rangers do something to make Semyon and Seeger worse, which why would they do that? But I, I think that's kind of the thing. It's one thing for the Rangers to be bad when they're signing cheap, hurt, like bargain basement dollar bin free agents mm-hmm. it's another thing when they're actually like taking part in the real big chunks of free agency and signing guys like senior and semi and i think if nothing else that feels a lot more secure and a lot more likely to lead to good results than the way daniels and company have built the team in recent years um yeah i think that's all fair um did uh did you see what uh Heyman just tweeted out i have not seen what john Heyman just tweeted out mets Angels and Padres are among many teams to have shown interest in star free agent Chris Bryant, whose marketing Lovely. is now percolating. Um, he, like I said, Bryant makes a ton of sense for a lot of teams. Well, hold on. There's a second part of this that I need to I need to mention to you. There is a second part to this tweet that I need to mention to you. Tell me which name stands out to to you. Okay. Whose agent was like, hey, or what front office uh, was like, hey, John, can you can you throw our name in here? That would be nice. Sure. Sure. I'm going to give you, there's four teams and you can guess which one did that. Whose marketing okay. is now percolating Mariners, Phillies, yep. Rockies, yep. Astros, among others who have checked in. <laughs> They've checked in, John. The 
Rockies. The Rockies checked tweeted, in on Chris Bryant. When Heyman tweeted the other day, apparently incorrectly, or oh, I, I know you're I'm not about. sure. Yeah, yeah. When he tweeted carrying the, the water for the Rockies in Trevor's story, yeah. My goodness, that franchise. Like, uh, let me. And, and since we're talking about Texas, I'll, I'll bring up John Gray as a perfect illustration of how. I, I think this is genuinely now the worst, dumbest franchise in baseball, and I don't really think that there's a close number two. Mm. John Gray, obviously former Rocky, was a was obviously set to hit free agency at the end of the season. Mm. Colorado was a very bad team all year long. There was no question, you know, they were not going to contend. It was not, it's not, it's never going to happen. Mm. Nonetheless, not only <laughs> not to be did stopped. they not trade him at the deadline, <laughs> not only. <laughs> Do they not make him an extension offer that he's going to take? Given that he signed a 456 deal, like I can't imagine what Colorado would have offered that would have been in the ballpark because that's just not who they are. But also, they don't give him a qualifying offer on the way out the door? They let their best starter walk for nothing. Nothing at all. It happens. We've all been there. I, 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 I don't know what you do with that franchise at some point. It is... It needs a complete overhaul top to bottom. There needs to be it, – it's to the point where – and I assume Rockies fans are already have already been doing it, but there needs to be a concerted get the Monforts to sell because they are – they do not know what they're doing. Right. You cannot make an argument that anyone in Colorado knows what they're doing because the, the, like the John Gray thing is just one of many examples of how singularly bad that team is at the actual art of baseball. So, yeah, good Good on the Rockies, though. Good on whoever in the Rockies front office is a source for Heyman managing to convince him, hey, can you get our name in there and just make it look like we're actually serious? Yeah, we're, we're, we're very much and, in on uh, Chris Bryant. Yeah, we're, we're, to- we're totally in, guys. We're totally in. Chris Bryant definitely wants to come to Colorado and play for a 68 win <laughs> for the next three years. It's absolutely something he wants to do. You know where I think he's going to end up? What a franchise. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Do you know where I think he's going to end up? Or, or what's I think he's going to end up in the Mets. I think they're not done. I think the Mets are going to keep doing this. I think he makes a lot of sense for them, particularly given that they have... I mean, the problem with the Mets is, I think similar to the Yankees, is their roster is a little bit inflexible in some regards in that they have particular two guys in J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith mm-hmm. who don't really have a position. Um, Smith should be a first baseman, but obviously... Well, I mean, the DH should be coming next year, so he will And yeah, the DH will be part of that, but then then the the follow-up question is, well, is Dom Smith good enough a hitter to be a DH Mm. slash is J.D. Davis good enough a hitter to be with DH? It's like, do you want to give either or both of those guys guaranteed full-time positions? And I think by adding Bryant, you get a guy who covers, not not only covers both of their positions at third base and left field and can certainly play more than that, but you also get a guy who you can slot into that DH mix if you need to as well. He's just he's so much more versatile in a much more positive way than Davis and Smith are that I think he is an ideal fit for that roster. Granted, that versatility makes him an ideal fit for just about any roster. But yeah, I, I agree with you that he would make a lot of sense for the Mets. Um, I'm very curious. Like, do you think the Tigers are done? No, they they picked Baez over Correa, the the brunch buddy of AJ Hinch's that he did not end up signing with Detroit. I mean, it doesn't seem likely that they're both on their way to Detroit, and it's a package type deal that we we saw with Texas. I don't see Detroit doing the same kind of thing. Like, if you're a Tigers fan, are you kind of underwhelmed with what they're doing, or is it like, well, it wasn't our fault that everyone just assumed that we were just going to go crazy? But also, like, 
it's not as though it's a huge drop off from Correa to Baez. And I think the best case for Baez over Correa over the next two to three years is that I think we can almost pencil in he's going to play more games, right? That's the biggest thing. Is I think yeah, Correa I mean, is going to keep missing games outside of this year where he was really healthy. But by and large, he's been a pretty injury-prone player to this point, while Baez has not. So I think that is availability should be factored in. But at the like, but still, it's just the hitting yeah, and so, just the def- the defense from Correa this year. I I don't know. It's still underwhelming. I'd rather have Correa, but like there is a case for Baez. I think. Sure, I, there is a case for Baez. I think defensively he is without he's peerless in that regard. Uh, he does give them some flexibility and that he can play second base as well. If that's something that Detroit decides it wants at any point, I would rather have Correa, but I also, obviously he's going to cost twice as much as Baez. And it does seem like Detroit didn't really have the appetite for that. And I can understand why that is a lot of money to commit, even though they don't really have a lot of money otherwise committed. Yeah, I mean, I could, I don't, I wouldn't rule it out. Like, I, I would not rule it out. If again, because if only because one, Correa is not signed, and two, he is probably not going to sign until late. So there is going to be time if the if the Tigers look at their books and say, hey, we actually can make this work. There is time and space and opportunity for that to happen, and they can also obviously, like I said, if they do decide, yeah, let's go get Correa, they can move Bias to second base if they really want to. I don't think it's going to happen. I've seen, to your point, I've seen a fair number of Tigers fans online who do seem disappointed with the Hall being Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez, and that's seemingly it so far. I don't think Detroit is necessarily done. I don't know how much more impact is left that they can add, really, unless they want a reunion with Nick Castellanos, which seems extremely unlikely given how like endlessly and loudly he complained about playing in Detroit. So yeah, I... It'll be interesting when we get to Detroit. I, I don't have, I don't know that roster off the top of my head right now to be able to say definitively, yes, they need to do something more. No, they do not. Uh, I do. It does seem like they made their choice that they wanted. They didn't want to go the full Texas route. They didn't want to go insane with the costs. You know, I, I think they're still in that mindset of we are closer to contention slash we don't have to go as hard in the AL Central. Maybe I don't know. Korea does feel like a missed opportunity in that regard. I do think he would have, you know, he's a perfect addition for them, but. And we'll have to wait and see. And like I said, I, I'm not ruling it out. I think it's very unlikely. But until Correa signs on the dotted line with someone for sure, eh, it's my dream of a Carlos Correa, Javi Baez middle infield still exists. And I, and I will just keep it alive as long as I can. Absolutely. Um, last thing, we're going to save the Red Sox season in review for the next pod, John, because yeah, this was a big... Yeah, there was a lot that happened today. There was just too much that <laughs> happened. In the last week. And I don't want to burn through happened. your Boston Red Sox. I don't want to burn through it. Uh, I want to... I well, especially because they... I mean, the Red Sox, like I mentioned before, all of the Yankees and the Dodgers are one of those teams that really kind of sat this whole process out. Yeah. And that really was not involved in this spending spree. I think in part because that is just not how Bloom operates, and, and they have been skeptical forever that John Henry will suddenly turn into a really big spender. But... Yeah, they're they're very clear. There's just so much else that's gone on with teams that are far more active than the Red Sox are, to say the least. Well, let's do the last one. Wendell for the Marlins. And uh, the the wink from Kim down there in Miami when asked about if they were done. They uh, She gave a wink, which was great. And I, I think the Marlins are, are up to something. They extended Sandy Alcantara. Do you like the trade for Wendell? What's well, kind of a, a under the radar yeah, one that I, mean, I think could be really good I, for them. Again, I, I I think it's one of those things where you see a team deciding we're going to create our own window. 
Yeah. And granted, like uh, Joey Wendell and Avisail Garcia and well, Alcantara is already there, but particular Wendell and <clears throat> excuse me, and Avisail Garcia and Jacob Stallings, who they got from Pittsburgh. No, those are not impact impact additions by any real stretch of the imagination, but they make the team better. And that I think is noteworthy on its own because Miami definitely had that vibe much more than Texas. I think of a team that in two years time, they're going to be really, really good, or at least based on the prospects they have, you can at least imagine a future in which Miami is really, really good, but they've decided, no, we don't just want to kick around in 65 win land until that time comes. We're going to actually do something about it now, which again, you have to appreciate that you have to, you have to admire that. And you also, I think, have to appreciate the fact that these teams in creating their own contention windows, or at least trying to open them up, have also decided you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the NL East right. is, is, is a mess, always. There's nothing that says the, the Marlins can't sneak into winning the division of like 85 wins if it all goes right. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them. I think especially offensively. when it, I, I don't love adding Abisail Garcia. I think he's – I've never been a huge fan of his for, for a variety of reasons – and even with the NL, even with the DH does come to the NL, I think it's not the best use of, of resources to spend four years on a guy who is pretty much a regular DH, but is not a, a, an elite hitter. Well, he does have elite measurables. Certainly, uh, Abisail is one of those big time exit velocity barrel guys. But regardless, they have, again, raised the floor of the team. They've made themselves better. They have added more talent. And they've created a scenario in which now there are fewer things that need to bounce in their direction, or at least there is less – what's the best way of putting this? The, the opportunity to be better, there is, there is now a bigger opportunity because when, obviously when you raise the floor, you create more opportunities for things to break your way and you create less uh, uncertainty with regards to, well, we need this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. Now you can just say, no, no, we have a lot of this already taken care of. Now we just need bad things to happen to other teams. And you can always count on that. Guys always get hurt. Teams always make bad decisions sometimes. I think it's a, I think those are all good moves from Miami in terms of just making that team better and giving them more depth and diversity throughout the lineup. There you go. John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from uh, the good folks? Using good folks a lot tonight. At Fangraphs.com, there's a good piece um, I read earlier on the catching situation. Very dire market. Uh, very yeah, catcher uh, now with Jan Gomes going uh, to with, Chicago. With Jan Gomes in Chicago, where he'll now be catching Marcus Stroman, and with uh, Roberto Perez joining Pittsburgh, who doesn't swing. Uh, an article, our king. You know, he, he is our our non-swinging king. Mm-hmm. But as that article by Luke Cooper pointed out on mm-hmm. Fangraphs, those are the last two catchers who are on the market who are projected to be worth uh, one more or more. So yeah, thin catching market. But yeah, obviously we have coverage of pretty much everything that happened. We are, you know, just churning out articles left and right on the various uh, signings, on the deals, on where it kind of leaves everybody. Beyond that, like I mentioned last week, we have our ongoing offseason stuff, which now with the lockout impending, um, obviously that's going to be a, a big thing. What we do is Dan Zimborski's Zips previews, Jay Jaffe's Hall of Fame ballot stuff. Unfortunately, the offseason is about to hit uh snooze mode or whatever i don't know what did the, what did the young kids say things are about to go like it's gonna get snooze mode. I, have, here. I have never sounded older than we're both in our 30s moment. i don't know it's fine it's fine like my spotify wrapped through the phrase you knew the assignment at me and i just stared at it i was like what is the assignment what was the assignment what did i know is that a meme 
I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it a thing that young people say? You knew the assignment? I haven't heard that. Yeah. And then they have an audio aura, which I was like, I don't do auras, man. I'm not, I'm not Miss Cleo. What is this? That's another reference that young people don't get. Back oh, yeah, in the day, no... we used to have to call, if we wanted to know what our future was, we had to call a fake Jamaican lady on telephone for like two ninety nine a minute. Mm. So she could tell us some bullshit in a really bad accent. Shouts to Miss Cleo. Is she still alive? How, how has that not been like a BuzzFeed, like, where are they now kind of thing? It's like, what's Miss Cleo up to? Anyway, what an ending. Uh, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. We're just going into a whole, what, where in yeah, the world uh, is Carmen Sandiego? Like, come, what? On, come on over to Fangraphs. We got coverage of all the big deals from last week. We'll have Zips previews and, and Hall of Fame stuff for the next couple months as the lockout does its thing. Obviously, we'll have updates that as pending with, you know, whatever happens lockout-wise, but... Yeah, baseball's about to get a little quiet, which really, 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 really sucks. But at least it went out with a whole bunch of fireworks, which you can always appreciate that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. John Taylor, fly on Twitter, J.A. Taylor. Keep up with the good folks at Fangraphs.com this winter and hopefully a very short lockout, but I would not bet on that. My, my guess is that we do not see or hear anything in terms of actual substantive movement until the new year, at the very least. I would say later that would be my guess. that, but yeah, at the very earliest. Um, yeah. John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, sir. My pleasure. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.